Welcome to Calling a City to Life, a podcast by Queen's Park Baptist Church in Glasgow. Each week you'll hear from us two episodes, the talk and the chat. First up is the talk, and that's the audio version of this week's sermon as preached at Queen's Park Baptist. So this is your opportunity to listen to it again or to listen to it for the first time. And later on in the week, you'll be able to tune in again and download the chat where we gather around and discuss in a bit more detail some of the issues and themes raised in this week's talk. Thanks for tuning in to the talk. We hope you enjoy it. And we look forward to you tuning in again later in the week. Enjoy. Okay, well, we're still in Revelation. And uh, today we're at the end of the world. Just in case you didn't know when it exists or happened, it's today. Uh, So welcome to the end of the world, and uh, for those of you who are watching online, and maybe even those of you who are listening on Tuesday or Wednesday, well, it wasn't actually the end of the world on Sunday after all. But we're going to be thinking about God's great hopeful promise of bringing all things to his glory and to the feet of his son, Jesus. So let me um, start uh, by beginning with our reading which is Revelation 21, and we're going to read a significant uh, chunk of Revelation 21. So turn with me to to verse 1. This is John's um, amazing, wonderful vision of God's glory, heaven breaking in. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God." He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. Its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear and crystal. And uh, I want just to move on. Um, to verse 22, but please do read these words. We will reflect a little bit on uh, these verses through to verse 22 in just a moment. And in verse 22, John says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. We could stop there and just allow that to soak into our souls, but let's dip into some of what we have seen and what John saw in these words and take hold of God's word for our lives in these days. Well, doom scrolling is big business, isn't it? If you're on your phone and something negative appears, then you follow it right through to the pit. And you don't have to go very far these days to find a particularly bleak view of history. Okay, I think I've got this working this week. Isn't that great? We'll see how we go on. You don't have to go very far to find a bleak view of history, do you? The astronomer Royal Martin Rees just very recently published a book, Our Final Century, he called it. And it's subtitled, Will the Human Race Survive the 21st Century? Happy days, what a title. Then David Wallace Wells wrote a book, The Uninhabitable Earth, A Story of Our Future. My kids gave me that book for Christmas. And then the poet and musician um, Leonard Cohen sang from his album, The Future, I've Seen the Future. It is murder. He should have sang that in a Glasgow accent, shouldn't he? A future is significant because future vision fuels our present reality. It determines how we live our lives, what we practice, what is important. And for these seven churches that Revelation is written to, and for all of the churches since then, this message that comes to us is a message of hope. It is a theology of hope intended to prod us and to goad us and to push us into living now in the light of the coming King. And so as we turn to these last pages of Revelation, and I'm kind of honest to say I'm a bit disappointed that it comes to an end, but maybe we could do all the best that we haven't done next time around. But as we turn to the final pages of Revelation, we come not to the gruesome end of the world, but to a mind-blowing new beginning in the purposes and the glory of God, what C.S. Lewis called a whole new story, brighter and better than anything that's gone before. And so this morning, I want to bring to you three words of hope from this passage that will prod you, I hope, and goad all of us into living for Christ in these days as we seek and see his coming. And here's the first word that John uh, hears. God says, look, I am making all things new. You'll find that in verse 5. And that summarizes what John sees. He sees in verse 1, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have ceased to exist, and the sea exists no more. And he said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. Here's the thing. Believers in Jesus, we hope 
for a new creation. Did you see it? God did not say, I'm making all new things, but I'm making all things new. In other words, there is a continuity between our experience of life now and our hope for life in Christ to come. That means that in some mysterious way, God will take the pieces and particles of this planet and of our lives, and he will transform them, transporting them into a creation, a new creation for his glory. There is great comfort and hope in that promise, because God will take our memories and our experiences in this world, and he will upcycle them into a product for his glory. God will take our cultural achievements and our learning, and he will transpose them into a beautiful expression of his eternal glory. Imagine that, a place where sin has gone and righteousness is reigning, and God redeeming all that he put in our lives that was good and godly and replacing all that has been damaged and affected by sin and life on this planet with wholeness. That means that we have a prospect ahead of us where every memory that's been shattered by Alzheimer's or by dementia will be repaired in the purposes of God. That means that our hope is that every body creaking with disease and flaw and failure will be transformed into immortality. We will put on immortality. It means that even that the character flaws and the damaged relationships that we experience in this life can be transformed for his glory. It means that the human institutions that have failed, the bitter feuds, even our broken environment, social injustice, racial inequality, will be transformed into his glorious kingdom. The things that trouble us, the things that ache in our hearts or resonate with God's broken heart for the world will find their fulfillment and completion in him. This is God's promise. We are going somewhere glorious. His intention for his creation is glorious and wonderful. He is not eliminating what he has done. He is redeeming what he has made. And in Gerald uh, Manley Hopkins' brilliant poem, he says this, in a flash, at a trumpet crash, I am at once what Christ is, since he was what I am. And this jack, this joke, this poor pot shirt, this match, this matchwood, this immortal diamond is immortal diamond beautiful, precious, unbreakable, immortal. That is God's promise. He will restore it all. Acts 3.21, God is making all things new, creating beautiful, wonderful new creation out of the mess. That is our hope. Our hope is of new creation. Our hope, secondly, is of an act of God. Did you notice this? The new creation is not being constructed out of our world so much as coming down out of heaven. It's his doing, not our achieving. 
that will make this happen. The very future, uh, theologian Karl Barth once said, the very future bears Christ's name. He is doing this. And we need to remember that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins to break the power of evil and death, that wasn't just simply the end of the old, it was the beginning of the new. And in his death and his resurrection, not only has the old world gone, but the new world has even begun. And we can look at Jesus in his resurrection life and begin to see that transformation happening. His personality is not extinguished. His history is not overwritten. He is transposed into a wonderful recreation. And when you place your trust in Jesus, when you open up your heart and welcome him in to be your heartbeat and your life and your hope and your purpose, then new creation, this new act of God is already happening. The person sitting next to you in a seat this morning who has trusted Jesus in their hearts is a new creation. It's not semantics. It's not just a nice way of saying they're a different person. They are the first fruits of God's wonderful new creation. Try putting that in your CV. That would be pretty good, wouldn't it? Qualifications. I am a new creation. And I am a sign of what God is going to do in the whole earth, in the whole of time. Romans 8 verse 19 tells us that the very creation is creaking and aching, waiting in eager expectation, like a woman in childbirth for the children of God to be revealed. You see, you and I in Christ are signs to this broken old rundown world that God is going to heal it and to bring it under his feet for his glory. It's an act of God. He's going to do it. Don't panic. He's on the job. And he will one day fulfill and complete it. You may well be aware of William Blake's famous poem or song, Jerusalem. It's an interesting song, probably not one to sing in church, but it has a number of rhetorical questions to which I think he was hoping for the answer yes, though the answer is actually no. For example, it starts, did those feet, the feet of Jesus, in ancient times walk upon England's mountains green? Answer, no. And it finishes with this question, and was Jerusalem builded here among these dark satanic mills? Answer, no. We do not build God's kingdom. God's kingdom is coming, and we have the privilege and joy of participating in what he is doing. We do not achieve the kingdom or even social progress ultimately by policy and by the sweat of our brows Hallelujah, the end is not in your hands or my hands. And despite the fact that we live in this broken world, we cannot thwart God's plans. Do you know that you can't even thwart God's plans by committing a global Armageddon? We can't do it. We can't thwart God's plans by diverting the world in our own purposes. We can't even achieve God's plans by trying to make the world finally better so that it is almost like heaven. Heaven comes down. Heaven breaks out. And we have the privilege 
or being part of it. I didn't know what Alison was going to say this morning, but I, I put these notes in my notes. The kingdom is coming. It breaks through like a silent, invisible stream into our world. We enter that stream when we take a step of faith, when we believe in heaven over earth. We enter that stream when we choose to pray for a miracle to happen, and it's answered. We enter that stream when a Christian action of social justice changes a human community. We enter that stream when I gird up my loins and confess that I've messed up and I need Jesus' help. We enter that stream when I release someone from my bitter vengeance and the powers of the coming age break in. And we enter that stream most fully when we turn our lives over to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So here's a question this morning. Is heaven breaking out in your life? Have you entered that new creation? Maybe like Kenny that we were talking about a moment ago, you've hung about church for a long time, but you haven't welcomed Christ into your heart. The new creation has not yet begun. You're close, but you haven't stepped into the stream. And I just encourage you, if that's the case this morning, to step into that life. But also, many of us can run our lives as if they're no different from the lives of people around about us. We also need to step into his living stream to expect that when we do what he asks of us, the kingdom breaks out. When we step it by faith into praying for things to happen that are impossible, that we're stepping into the stream of life and of him. Our hope is in an act of God. And we need to move on. Oh, I've gone back the way. Thirdly, this passage tells us that our hope is in the fulfillment of a story. You see, the rest of this book has been leading to this page. The whole narrative arc of the Bible is targeted towards Revelation 21 and 22. Now, sometimes some Christians think that Eden and the Garden of Eden was like God's kind of pinnacle of God's plan, and it's kind of got worse since then. You know, it's all going to pot, and that God has had to kind of do a sort of plan B, um, and then plan B didn't kind of work, so he's now on to plan C or C 2.1.0. And we kind of imagine that the world is such a basket case that God's kind of given up on his plans, and that he's going to have to scrap it all, and then just kind of whisk us off to out of space, and start again. But the fact is, God's intention was never to leave us in the garden. God's intention was never for Eden to be the end of the story. You see, there is no plan B with the Lord of heaven and earth, who is the sovereign one over all he has made. We're still on track for plan A to be achieved. For sure, it's been bashed around. For sure, we human beings have messed up. But God's plan to bring many sons and daughters to glory 
is still 100% on track. And he will do what he has promised to do. We are still heading from Eden to the new Jerusalem and to a new creation that's free from sin. And that new creation is not just simply something that's been cobbled together out of the mess. It's a new creation that is full of a unique creature. Unique creatures like you and me who know the reality of messing up and know the privilege and joy of God's grace. And you can sing a new song, a song that speaks of our redemption and of God's work in our lives. Because you know that there is no one, no creature in heaven who can sing with their hearts, my chains fell off. Do you know there's no creature other than human beings that can sing with a heartfelt truth, those forgiven much, dare not forget your touch, cannot withhold your praise. You see, the new Jerusalem is going to be populated with, by people who know the touch of Christ and the forgiveness of God, won by his death on the cross. It's going to be a community filled with trash, you and me, but trash that have been made in Christ, his treasure. That's his journey. That's what he does. What a place. Well, we need to go on, and uh, I need to tell you a little bit about the hope that we have in that place. Look, there's a new creation coming. But look, John is told, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. A new heaven and earth appears, but now the new Jerusalem comes down. And I heard a loud voice, verse 3, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. Did you get that? Did you pick that up? God's intention is to dwell with us, to live with us. Now, some of you who like to follow using your Greek Bibles, I'm not pointing you out this morning, save your shame. Um, but you may have already noticed that this word translated dwelling place uh, in the NIV is the word skene, which means tent or tabernacle. It's a really powerful word that resonates right throughout Scripture, really from page one of Genesis. Scripture tells us, Isaiah 66 verse one, that the heavens and earth were created for God's presence. Heaven is my throne, says the Lord, and the earth is my footstool. It's the place of his glory. Eden is a garden where God's presence is intense, so intense that he walks with the man and the woman, and they're cast from his presence. But that's not the end. That's only the beginning, and God pursues people to be with us persistently, patiently. He is seeking connection, even to the extent that he goes out into the hostility of planet Earth to be with us. And so John 1 verse 14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling, his tent, his skinny, his tabernacle. You see, God the Father sent the Son to die in our place so that we 
could be with him. With him. Not simply doing things for him or hanging about on the edges of his presence. God's intention is to be with us. These are words from Sam Wells, which I think summarizes it better than I ever could. All his work for us, he says, are ways of preparing the ground for the fundamental purpose of creation, God being with us. That is what was ever in God's heart and whatever shall be. God has saved you in Christ so that he might be with you forever in eternity, in intimacy and heartfelt love. Here's just a little thought. Imagine someone had given their life so they could spend time with you. And you say, well, do you know what? I'm really quite glad that you've saved my life, but I don't want to be around you. What a tragedy. What a tragedy that the very thing that they gave their lives for was not what we took hold of. And God in Christ has given himself, not simply just to forgive us the past, but to live with us, to be with us in the present and the future. Let's move on again. We have a hope that he is dwelling with us. And that dwelling is one of glory. He's coming to dwell with us. But he's coming to dwell with us in glory. Verse 22, we read that John says, I saw no temple in the city because the Lord God and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God lights it up. The Lamb is the lamp. Well, who can begin to describe the glory and splendor of the coming king? There are no words. And yet we need to grasp hold of something of this, that we might live in the light of it. Verse 15, we skipped over verse 15, but I encourage you to, to read it. Verse 15, an angel appears who has a measuring rod of gold in his hand to measure the new city of Jerusalem, this coming city, its gates and its walls. Here we have an angelic building surveyor. Who knew there were building surveyors in the Bible? Who knew they were in heaven? But they are. And I wonder if that reminds you of something. It reminds me of Ezekiel 40 where an angel with a measuring rod measures the temple. And Ezekiel is taken to this place where the angel outlines this temple where God will be present. But this time in Revelation, as this temple of God's presence is, is measured out, the measurements are enormous. They're basically out of the park. That's the point. The point is not that you can measure this to a specific size. The point is that it encompasses everything. And, and what is being described here is the fact that God's new creation, God's holy presence will cover everything. 
that the whole of the new heavens and the new earth will be awash with the presence of God. His presence will be in everything, everywhere, all the time. I don't know about you, but in this world, my spiritual life is stuttering and stopping. It starts and it stops. And I'm reminded to go back and place myself in the presence of God and invite God's presence into parts of the day. But it's stuttering. It's like a hiccuping in and out of God's presence. But God's promise that his, is that his presence will fill the whole world. As Habakkuk said, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's the second word of hope. He is coming to dwell with us. He's coming to make all things new. He is coming to dwell with us. And then my third word of hope is it is done. Did you see that? Verse 6, God said, it's done. This is a done deal. It's a completed action that promises a glorious future. New creation was attained by the cross of Christ. And sitting here this morning with a new life in Jesus, you're the proof that it has begun. But it will be completed. It will be fulfilled. And just very briefly, we're told what will not be in this new future. We're told there's going to be no sea. That's not a disappointment to sailors. It's a fact that Jewish people saw the sea as being the place of chaos. The beast, you'll remember, comes out of the sea. This is a reminder that the forces of chaos that seek to devour the earth will be gone. There will be a peace. There will be no tears. There is nothing in God's new future plan to create sorrow or loss or grief. Because, we're told, there will be no death. The threat of losing what we have is gone. And in verse 8, we're told there will be no destructive character qualities whatsoever. That which is of the enemy, that which is of the flesh, will be destroyed. No place for unbelief, no place for immorality, no place for abuse and aggression and, and sexual exploitation in this world to come. It's done. It's done. It's finished. But I know you want to find out, well, what's in we know what's out, but what's in? And I, I just really want to finish uh, here just with some brief, brief thoughts. First of all, the scripture tells us what's in. The nations are in. All the nations. God's future is multicultural. And one of the joys of being part of this fellowship is that we're a kind of example of what God's going to do in the future. So you better get used to it. But our fellowship across languages and heritages and nations in Christ is a prophetic sign to a world that finds it difficult to get on with itself, that God is putting the nations together in all our differences. There will also be peace. Harmony will reign. And, and we will have good relations. So it's good to bring that forward into the present and sort our relationships out. But I want just to mention one thing this morning in conclusion about what's in. You may have noticed in verse 26, 
that the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. The glory of the nations will be brought into it. The nations, in verse 24, will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor or their wealth into it. And I think what we are being reminded here is that God is not going to junk what is good and godly. That where there is glorious inventions of humanity, creativity, history, education, these things are not going to be junked. They may be decontaminated and converted, but we will bring what God has gifted us with in this world into that which is to come. And we will gather what he has given to us and we will express it as an act of wonderful worship, of tribute, like kings coming and submitting their wealth and riches to the greater ruler. All that we are and all that we have and all that remains of us that is godly will be expressed to him as a great act of worship. You see, God is already at work in his people. God is already building into our lives his kingdom. We're people of a coming kingdom. Our identity is not of this world so much as it is of the world to come. And in this world, we make visible that which is to come in our lives. But also what is in our lives will be brought to him as a tribute and for his glory. And that means that the human management skills that you have amassed, the gifts of creativity and of music, your caring qualities, your spiritual gifts, your intelligence, your connections, your heart for prayer, your passion for evangelism, all of these things will be translated into a gift of his worship. All that has been given to you will be given to him in glory. And so as we finish this morning, I really want to give you an opportunity ahead of time before we present all that we have before him in worship at the altar to present those gifts for his glory in this world. God has gifted us with so many, many things. Spiritual gifts, past experience, great relationships, challenging relationships, skills we have learned. And all of these things God wants to use for his glory now and for his worship in the future that's to come. So I'm going to ask the band to come up and... Uh, what I'd like you to do um, is I'm going to ask you to come and place your gifts at the altar. I'm going to invite you to come forward and if you want to do that, but not as an act so much of, of penitence and confession, but as an act of worship to say, all I am, you have made me. All that you have gifted with me is for your glory. And Lord, I want to lay down the wealth of this nation I will lay down the riches that you have given to me as an expression of my worship. For some of you, that might literally be, Lord, I'm putting my finances at your disposal. For some of you, it might be, Lord, I'm putting my time at your disposal. For some of us, there are things that we never thought that were actually on God's agenda because we thought they were kind of on a human agenda. And we just say, Lord, I'm putting the skills that I've learned in the construction industry or the skills that I've learned in accountancy skills that I've learned in education. They're not just things that I have done. They're gifts from you. And I want to present them to you as an act of worship. So we're going to worship.
and I'm just going to pray. I'd invite you to stand with me if you would do that. And uh, let me pray for us all. And if you would like, just as an expression of your hope in the coming King, and if your commitment to express that hope through every aspect of your life, whether it's your workplace or your family, but through the, the gifts that you have been given, and we've all been gifted, for some of us it might actually just be a real challenge to, to believe by faith that God has gifted us, but we're just turning them over. They'll, they were just given to us by God and they're for God and they'll be for his, the praise of his glory. So just invite you and just to come and lay those gifts at the altar this morning as it were. So Lord, we thank you that you, our hope is in you. Lord, you're making all things new. You don't look at us and look at the junk and look at getting rid of it so much as transforming it into a gift for your glory. Lord, we thank you that you want to be with us. And Lord, that you want to work in us and work through us. And Lord, we thank you that you invite us to bring the gifts that we have received, like the kings of the nations in Revelation, as, a, as an expression of worship to your holy name and as a, as, a, as a means of witness to what you're doing in the world. So Holy Spirit, will you just speak into our lives now? We want to be for you. We want to ensure that all that we have and are is given to your purposes and for your glory. And Lord, we just seek to express that as we commit our gifts, our relationships, our opportunities, and our challenges, all that we are for all that you are, for your name's sake. Amen. Amen. So I just invite you, if you'd like to do that in a physical way, and just express your thanks for what God has given and your commitment to give what you've been given as an expression of worship and service, just to come and to stand at the front or to kneel at the front um, or to sit at the front. But just please come forward as we commit ourselves to him. Thank you for listening to this week's Calling a City to Life talk. We hope that you enjoyed it and that you'll join us again later in the week for the chat. Speak to you again soon. Goodbye.